if the hard skills, the knowledge processes, the tools we can teach you, we cannot change you as a person. Companies are trying to hire people who are open to learn and grow and, and again, like have nicely developed soft skills. So this is something you have to emphasize on your interviews. As soon as you proved that you're a good fit with your portfolio, your next goal, and maybe even a more critical goal is to convince them uh, with your motivation, with your ability to work with others, with all sorts of soft skills, maybe even confidence. everybody welcome on the next episode my name is Anfisa and I'm your first host and I'm joined today by Ioana who is the second co-host of this of this show so today we are uh, planning to talk about a very juicy topic for so many of you um, and the topic is called how to find your job as the beginner UX designer so how to find your first job as the UX designer. I know it's a very, very juicy topic because there is this very, very famous notion that before five years, nobody wants you, but then as soon as you hit five years of experience, HR or just different companies start like hunting you like crazy. You're getting a lot of messages and questions like, are you open? We need designers, ASAP, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a very big topic. We always feel like it's not very good tendency that we need to have more opportunities for junior designers, but I'd like to also sort of decode why the situation is like that right now in the market and sort of figure out what can the industry do, do better, but also what you as the beginner designer can do better to optimize your chances to get your first job. However, before getting into the topic full on, I'd like to mention that, um, let's see, today is the September 17th, and that means that it's basically one year since we started recording those episodes, so I just wanted to take a little moment to celebrate this, um, this occasion, because one year on, seven, on September 15th, so one year and two, and two days ago, we have recorded the very first pilot episode, how to transition to UX design. Uh, we already took a little break because we have started in September. And I believe somewhere around November, we took a break, obviously, because <laughs> we have greeted Mia this, in this world. So we had to stop recording some episodes and then we get back to it on winter and also on winter we have finally launched it uh, here in the community it's been an interesting journey Joanna anything you'd like to share about this past year how it went for you maybe some expectations and the realities <laughs> that you went through <laughs> well actually I do have a couple of uh, thoughts that feel in a way half-baked but I think they they have some substance to them so uh, first of all when I said yes I was uh, absolutely convinced that I was gonna back out of it in like two weeks because it's gonna be too much effort to raise the baby stay at home and also do this and create a space in my calendar on a weekly basis it felt like it's gonna be overwhelming but I said you know what let me just give it a try and if I fail I fail that's fine and so this was a lesson of uh, persistency and being open for me so I just said yes I went with the flow and somehow I managed to find that one hour in my week like um, as much as possible every week and so I was pleasantly surprised to see that now we have one year and we have so many episodes out there so my my takeaway and my lesson to share with everyone is that just try out things even if you fear failing you might make it you might find the power to do things so it's just it was it was a really nice uh thing to 
to do. And also another thing that I've been uh, considering since we're having these conversations is that I forgot, I mean, with the pandemic and everything, I just forgot how important it is to talk to another designer. I mean, for me, it's been such an immense source of growth to have my ideas um, against your ideas, um, have them meet and, and make something out of them and see how they're different and how they're similar. And so for me, having this uh, weekly, uh, this um, recurrent conversations has been an immense source of growth. And I mean, it's, it's just, um, a, a, something that I knew, I thought I knew, but I experienced it very deeply with our podcast. It's really important to talk to other designers as much as possible on a regular basis and even have um, constant relationships. So talk with the same designer because you are evolving together and it's like a very interesting mirror to have. And this is what is uh, right now top of mind in terms of what this podcast meant for me for the past year. So I want to thank you, Anfisa, and I want to thank all the listeners who supported us and who um, encouraged us to continue and who we were just named on a list like the six most uh, valuable podcasts for 2021. So that means a lot for us. And thank you so much to everyone who listened. And thank you, Anfisa, for all the awesome conversations we had together. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much for taking this huge risk literally one month before uh, the birth of the baby. <laughs> I, can, I can't even imagine how much of the stress that would have been for you. So yeah, thank you so much for giving it a chance and just trying your best. It hasn't been easy. Uh, I also felt sometimes like, oh gosh, it's so much effort you have to always stay focused you always have to really try to do your best right because you you do have to make time you do have to try to find the best topics you always have to stay focused and like formulate your thoughts and it, it, let's be honest sometimes you wake up and you're like not able to say two words <laughs> but you still understand that you can start talking and actually formulate a couple of interesting insights and bounce the idea space of each other and then actually boom maybe it could be also helpful or useful to somebody else which is the beauty of it and i really love that um yeah we i hopefully hopefully we were able to help someone in this journey in the transitioning journey or help build a more realistic expectation about the design industry and the struggles we all go through as we as we work and, and grow so yes thank you so much first of all you guys uh, because without you we wouldn't be able to keep it up and uh, we do appreciate your support a lot we do appreciate your reviews or your messages or your questions in the em please do this more <laughs> so we can actually keep it up for longer um all right another thing we usually do in the beginning of any episode is a quick catch up. Uh, let's try to do super quick this time around. Um, I'll start first just by saying that um, I've just started my email list. It's not it's not out there yet, but by the moment when this episode will be out, I hope that my email list will be live and I will start like posting more there, more long reads, more insights, more lessons that I want to share with the community. Uh, so if you're interested in hearing some interesting long-term thoughts or getting access to some exclusive events or workshops that I've been plugging for so long here in the podcast, make sure to check the link uh, down in the show notes uh, and say subscribe to it too. Because uh, yeah, my favorite topic, love-hate relationship with Instagram, I'm kind of again thinking that I should drop it and start doing other things like email list 
Telegram and other project projects. So that's where I am at this point. Um, I'd love to hear how was your week, Ioana? Anything that you would like to update us with? Yeah, basically my week is pretty much the same thing again and again. It's Mia and Mento, the UX uh, UI bootcamp I'm running. So that's what we're doing. We're planning a couple of very exciting events. We're going to have uh, guests from EA Sports, FIFA, who will be talking about transitioning from graphic design to UX design. We will have events on inclusive design and how to understand it and why it matters. So if you want to stay up to date with everything, follow mentodesign.academy on Instagram. Uh, join our meetup group, Mentor Design Academy group. And if you're looking for a UX bootcamp, book a free call with us and we can try to help you figure out which bootcamp would work best for you. Plus, I'm trying to find a better balance between um, having me time, Mia and Mento. So I hope that from Mia and Mento, it's going to be me, Mia and Mento. Me, in me, the, me. In the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, me, me, me. The, the triple M. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> try it. Great. Um, all right, then let's just jump into the topic. I'm sure many people are interested in hearing what we have to say. I'd really like to start from the core of the problem, really trying to formulate why until five years of experience, nobody wants you nobody you have to like really run for all the hrs and like prove that you're worthy and like always get rejected sometimes on the interviews and all of that so why is it so that many people in the beginning struggle to find their first geek but as soon as you get five years of experience nobody even cares what you have in your portfolio you have five years of experience we want you come and join us you don't need to have the, the the job interviews and all of that just join us so like why is this so imbalanced why do we have to go through this huge roller coaster do you have any thoughts on why is this market is so kind of not balanced at the moment I do have some thoughts and I think that it's what you described is just awful and it's so true and it's awful that it's true and uh, I have some assumptions around why that might happen. Um, I think that many companies feel that they can't afford to take the risk with the junior because uh, they have a lot of complexity to deal with and the projects are difficult and so they want somebody who is senior because they think that they can just plug that person in and then that person will make something out of all the complexity they have to deal with. And I think that if a design organization is not mature enough, then they don't really are, they're not really comfortable with creating the space in which somebody to come in and grow. Because I think the perception is that you need to grow a junior designer. You need to invest in guiding him, mentoring him. And if you don't feel comfort, confident enough in your, um, in your, design organization and your design maturity then you 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 feel that maybe that person is just going to be become a liability in a way something that you have to take care of more than um uh, him solving problems for you or solving problems for you with with a greater cost uh at the same time i think this might be a part of the problem and another another thing that i can assume that companies fear is that hiring a junior designer means that it will take longer for them to deliver or to deliver at the quality that you want. So um, I think this is something that all of them fear that it's going to be just slower to, to have the design problems solved by a junior designer. And I, I don't really know a company that doesn't have time constraints and deadlines and an overall pressure of delivering faster. So these, I think, might be two aspects of it. And the last thing that comes to my mind, like top of mind, is that I think it's just harder to assess a junior designer's portfolio because especially when they have like classroom projects in a team and 
employers can't really tell what was the exact contribution of that person, of the candidate, and it's not really clear what that person is able to do. And so I think that senior designers just feel easier to evaluate as they already have a tangible body of work. And so you can refer that as something that's like proven work. So I think that these three things are something that are is contributing to the to the reluctancy that companies have towards hiring juniors and the easiness with which they 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 um, they seek senior designers. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, those are great points. Um, I think I have a couple of more to add. First if, first of all, I also agree that hiring juniors is expensive even though it doesn't sound logical, right? Like usually juniors would cost less, so why is it expensive? And my point is that um, we need to understand that when company hires juniors, it doesn't hire a full package, right? So it means that they would have to have senior designers spending their time training junior designer. So basically you're paying for the time of two, not one person. And that actually creates this double cost that many companies prefer to reduce or remove. Um, that's why it's expensive. Another point which I felt like is important to mention is that it's also risky, not just expensive, but it's also risky because you um, there are a couple of risks when you're hiring the junior designers, in my opinion, maybe HRs have a better perspective on this. But my opinion is that first, you're looking for junior designer who haven't been really long time in the industry. So what if this person doesn't even know what what it is, what to expect from this journey, um, if that's even for them, if it's what they're ready for and stuff like that. So you're taking somebody who might not even be sold to the whole idea of the design process yet. And this person can actually change like opinion or burn out really quick. And then you realize that it's not the designer that you want to have in a team. And so there is this risk. I, I know it sounds horrible, <laughs> by the way. Um, then there is, again, this risk and I guess fear for the company is that if you're hiring someone without an established and proven portfolio of experience, um, then this person might not even meet the internal quality standards, so to say. It's kind of the risk that what if this person, okay, have nice pictures in his portfolio, he has some nice shots and, and small projects they've been working on, but what if like, okay, the communication is not there. This person has still a lot of work to do with like communicating the design decisions with the progress that this person still has to do with the learning, with the speed. And, and now it's not that I'm advocating with the companies. I'm just voicing what I feel might be a fear. Uh, so I think maybe for some companies, the risk of spending too much try time trying to grow those people before it even becomes profitable for the company is the risky thing that not everybody would want to go for. And so, yeah, I guess I can imagine, I mean, I can sort of empathize for this thing. For example, if, you know, if you're hiring someone and then you see that this person is not growing, this person is defensive and not taking any feedback, and it's very hard eventually to just cooperate together. And it's very hard because like you do have to now decide what should you do how do you want to proceed do you have to let this person go do you have to invest more and try to help this person grow and overcoming those fears do you have to hire external help to help this person etc so it's like it's a risky thing we have to just give ourselves um this notion i guess keep it in mind and then there is this aspect of hiring foreigners because in some countries there is sometimes not enough of the 
talent pool. Um, so for small countries, like I'm not saying about the countries where there are a lot of designers, for example, in post-Soviet countries like Ukraine, where I'm from originally, there are a lot of designers. There's always a lot of a lot of hand and thus there's a lot of competition and stuff. But there are also countries where uh, the design is not as popular. And so some company, like even Germany, Germany, I know hires a lot of designers from the outside, from other countries, but that's like, again, comes with a huge risk that what if you invest time and money and the widow application, basically you're, you're bringing this person in, but then this person again is not the right fit for the company. So you're really sometimes taking somebody blindly without really understanding what does it feel like to work with this person. But when you're hiring and investing in somebody without experience, um, you would expect to have this person to stay for longer in your company. So like expect to have um, their retention of the employee inside the company, because if you spend, let's say one year of resources for hiring this person, you would want this person to stay at least three times longer, right? So all those are just rational reasons, which I thought about um, before jumping into the actual junior designer shoes and trying to think how can we, um, from the bird's eye view with this understanding, with this knowledge, with all those risks and fears in mind, how can we now build this empathy for the companies and reduce the risks or eliminate the fears that those companies might experience? So what we as junior designers, well, not we, but in general, like what the junior designers could be doing in order to, to reduce those risks. So um, basically on that note, I think we can go to the next question, which basically would be, uh, what are the some strategies or some ideas uh, for junior designers to find job keeping in mind all those potential fears and risks that companies have in mind. So what can junior designers do actually to reduce those risks, basically? I love the question. I love the framing around building empathy for the company, which is a, a bit exotic because normally it's like the junior designers and the, the design side that's like the good guys and then the bad guys are the companies. <laughs> but yeah, what if the companies are just people like us who maybe they don't understand what they need. They don't understand their problems very well and they just need help with it. I mean, it's also part of the design role to help people figure out what their needs are from a particular, for, from any design challenge. So definitely we have to um, build an understanding towards companies and not uh, stop demonizing them as much and try to maybe help them figure out why they might need a junior designer. Because sometimes, they, they'd be very good off with a junior designer, but they just don't know it. They just don't trust it. And so it, it's also our, um, it, it may be difficult to do this, let's say, uh, education as a junior designer. But uh, I think that the design industry as a whole has the mission of helping companies understand and figure out what they need. So uh, getting back to the question strategies, um, some, some, some ideas for junior designers to find uh, jobs. I would say that you need to start with networking because from my experience, um, from, from the experience I've had mentoring junior designers uh, in their transition and the people I spoke with uh, on UX goodies and so on, most of the first jobs uh, came through networking. And I think that uh, building relationships with people um, can have a tremendous impact on the success of finding a, um, your first job. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like just uh, 
um, designers or design recruiters or design managers that are hiring can also be just like all sorts of people who are working in companies that have something to do with design. I've, I've had, even at Mento, we have students that found their first gig uh, through their network of friends. So those people were just looking for a designer to bring one of uh, the ideas they had for a product to life or other people's just had uh, another student. She has like a cousin that has an online shop and she needs uh, she has some design needs around it. And so it's like it's sometimes you need to network outside of the design space and just tell everyone <laughs> that you're pursuing a design career, that you're moving into this and then some opportunities will definitely arise. And this is really important, talking to others uh, and, and building a network. And I, I know that especially as a junior designer, this might feel very uncomfortable in the beginning. It's like you're doing something that doesn't feel natural, reaching out to people you don't know, or you're going to events and then you have to talk to people that you don't know and you don't know what to say. But just remember that everybody's doing it. And I don't know, networking events have the purpose of networking embedded in them. So it's just fine to go and and seek people that you can um, just let know that you're you're doing this, you're a junior designer, you're looking for a job and so on. And indeed, it might be particularly rewarding to reach out to design recruiters and build a relationship with them, which doesn't have to be like, just please give me a job or please help me get hired. It can be like, hey, I'm on this learning journey. Can you please provide some feedback maybe on on, on the point I'm in, what do you think I should do next? Just seek guidance, seek mentorship from these people, not just ask them to place you in a job because they probably get that question a lot. So you have to go beyond the immediate interaction and, and try to build a, a relationship. And some other strategies that I think might work are just to research the dream companies that you want to work for or the dream companies probably like, I don't know, if you want to work for Spotify or Google, or I don't, it's really hard to break into them. They have some internships from time to time, but it's it's like everybody wants them. So when I say dream company, it can be like just a company in your town that's building a product and your startup or everything. So the dream company doesn't have to be everybody's dream company. It can be something that just makes sense in the context of what industries get you excited and what type of work you would like to do. And so, yeah, research those companies and try to reach out directly to people in that company and tell them, hey, I'm really passionate about the product you're building, about the industry you're in. I have this uh, these projects that might be relevant. Prepare a portfolio that feels relevant for the job you'll be applying to, uh, the jobs you'll be applying to, and then just, just reach out and go more uh, niche if you want or more uh, spot on, not just apply to. 100 jobs on LinkedIn, all the jobs that you find available, but be more strategic when it comes to um, applying to your jobs and make it as personalized as possible. And the last point on, on that, that comes to my mind is just that you really need to prepare for interviews. So I think that many people say that oh, I can just show up and I'll wing it, I'll just make it work. But especially in the beginning, that really doesn't fly. <laughs> so you have to really prepare for an interview and think about the questions that might come up. Think about the way that your case studies might be challenged. And you have to be able to explain every rationale behind every design decision. So go prepared. Just do your homework before you go into an interview. And I think that this is uh, everything that comes to my mind right now. What do you want to add? <laughs> yeah, that was a great, I think that, that that could be like your your talk could be literally just 
switched or like turned into the check boxes. <laughs> Here are the things you should be and should be doing and not be doing in the preparation. Uh, especially like I love the point about not applying to hundreds of companies because that's that's the mistake we we all have done, huh? Through <laughs> like I definitely did a lot of like apply, 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 which is not an effective, trust me, just a waste of time. Nobody, everybody recognizes when it's a copy paste application. So just, just don't do this. It's imagine like you receive this a lot of emails, spam emails, right? You hear, you see that it's not a personalized email. So you don't want to read the same application because it's literally the same. You can feel it that it's not a personally tailored message. And this person is not necessarily motivated to work for your company. You need to target the right company that you're really motivated to work for. Now. Getting back to the original question and a couple of my points that I thought I want to add on top of what Ioana just said. Now, I would like to talk about um, a little bit more of the, I guess, yeah, abstract thinking or your mindset mindset thinking um, coming into this process. So for me personally, you have to keep in mind that your goal right now as a junior designer who is risky for some companies, um, your goal is to build this trust. Your goal is to build the trust with the potential employee it's kind of key for your job you have to prove why is it worth hiring you and, and i know it doesn't sound fair because why would other designers with five years of experience do not need to prove themselves yeah but unfortunately the risk we have to keep in mind while going into this process but there are a couple of things you can do to actually reduce those risks and so as i said like building the trust with the company means a couple of things first you have to show your interest, show your motivation to grow, show that you're open to receive the feedback to grow and you're really interested and sort of passionate about the journey you're embarking yourself into. But also, of course, you prove your competencies in your basic knowledge through the portfolio. So for example, when you are applying to a company with not so much experience, you keep in mind that we communicate our thinking in the portfolio. So portfolio is your first filter where you show that you're critical thinking person, that you understand the, some basics about visuals, you know how to build stuff. You might not know everything. That's all right. You, you're not expected to know everything, but you just show that, okay, you're, um, you're interested in, you have the design thinking, you know some basic processes, and you can communicate it nicely. Now, as soon as you have gone through this filter of like communicating your thinking in your portfolio, your next goal is to convince the people or convince your potential employee on the interviews about the potential culture feed. Because when we hire in new people, new designers, uh, I would bet or I would sort of risk to say right now, it's my opinion, but I would risk to say that we always or often hire people for their personality. It's a lot about bringing person to a team who is motivated and open to learn and fits nicely culturally. Because if the hard skills, the knowledge, the processes, the tools we can teach you, we cannot change you as a person. Companies are trying to hire people who are open to learn and grow and, and again, like have nicely developed soft skills. So this is something you have to emphasize on your interviews. As soon as you've proved that you're a good fit with your portfolio, your next goal, and maybe even a more critical goal is to convince them uh, with your motivation, with your ability to work with others, with all sorts of soft skills, maybe even confidence. Another tips, I guess, for you as the designer who is just beginning of this journey, I think it's, um, it's important to acknowledge your strong sides 
yes, you know that you still have a long journey to take, you acknowledge this, you accept it, you're honest about it in the interview, you mention what experience you have and where do you want to grow. So I guess another little point is to be reflexive and show that you, you're aware of things, right? You know where you stand at. But also, it's still important to build the confidence by acknowledging your strong sides. By, for example, knowing what are the transferable skills that you can bring into this industry. For example, if you were working in, in a similar industry, so let's say if you were taking the background in psychology or, I don't know, anthropology or IT or what, what not. Really, there are so many backgrounds you can transition from. Political science, whatever, like so many things. So there are transferable skills that you can always apply in design which is a great time because design is very multifaceted, right? As we established. And so there are always skills that you can transfer. And as you go to the interviews, it would be great if you can name those. It would be great to say exactly why it would be great to work with you. What can you bring to the team? What, what's this unique side of you that uh, you should name and, and sort of make sure everybody hears and knows about you so that they know what you actually bring into the table, even if you don't have approved portfolio of years of experience, etc. So acknowledging your strong sides, knowing what you have to bring on the table, and also being a reflexive person, knowing how much you still have to learn, but showing the interest to learn, being open to do that, that would be a great, I guess, sign personally for me if I would be hiring someone. Uh, because if if you know I would meet someone on the interview who have a great portfolio, but feels like he knows it all, way too confident. It's like, yeah, I know it. I'll figure it out. Don't worry. Don't ask questions. I'm going to do fine, etc. So I, I would feel like this is not a very cooperative person. I would fear working with this person. I don't know how would I approach working with this person. So it's important to really realize what are the fears and face them and show that, yeah, you're open to grow. Those are my points. And then I guess another question, which I'm sure a lot of designers, junior designers are asking themselves. So I wanted to discuss this. What about the portfolio? What should the beginner designer with little experience, with little to no experience put into their first portfolio? What are some maybe tips and approaches to build your first portfolio? Because obviously portfolio of the designer with five-year experience will be different and there will be different projects and CV names that you will be putting into it. But what about this designer who doesn't have great names in their portfolio and is aware that they still have a lot to learn? What should they put in their portfolio? What are your thoughts around it? It's a great question. And I think that most, if not all the juniors designers that I talk with and um, are transitioning to UX design, it's, it's a problem that they have, they face the, the lack of projects to feature in their portfolio. And how do you go about not having experience that you can feature in your portfolio? So that's, that's actually an interesting challenge. And I think that as much as possible, I would say as the top advice that you can work on real challenges. So I'm not a big fan of design challenge generators and design prompts where everybody does the same thing, like the same time travel app or something. And then you, you, you Google the case study on, um, on Google, and then it's, it's like the same uh, portfolio again and again. So I'm not a big fan of prompts uh, for challenges. So as much as possible, try to find a personalized challenge if you want a real life channel a challenge from your from your from your world and it can be something that is like i said 
friends and family, somebody who has a business, somebody who has a company or a product that they have a design problem or design question that they need answers to and and go go just reach out to everybody in your network and see if there's something real that you could be working on voluntarily in the beginning i know that volunteer volunteer work gets a really bad name that you shouldn't work without getting paid but i i, I disagree i think that in the early days of your of your design life i mean you're still a student you're still somebody who's learning it's really fine to to have one or two gigs or projects where you're not getting paid and they will definitely enable you to get paid after that. So it's, it's, it's a good compromise. It's not that bad. Ideally, if a big company or a company that has the budget hires you, then yeah, that, that's a case when they should pay for it. But when you're volunteering or when you're reaching out to friends and family and maybe they don't have that budget, it's okay to be paid, I don't know, in pizza or beer or whatever. That's also fine. So yeah, so friends and family volunteer uh, on platforms like uh, Democracy Lab or UXRescue.org. These are platforms where you can volunteer to work on design challenges and they're a great place. I know that uh, hackathons are something that we've been also mentioning in our podcasts before. Uh, maybe they're not as often, but if you get the chance to go work in a hackathon, that's a, a project that's gonna be very accelerated and very demanding. Um, also, I think that if you can find um, educational opportunities, I don't know, courses, boot camps where, where they enable you to work on real design challenges, that's also great because there you will probably be working under the guidance uh, of a mentor or of a teacher, like an apprenticeship, and that's also very, very valuable, uh, even if it's within a school. So as long as the problems are real, it counts as real experience in a way. And I think that another thing that you might consider when you're building case studies, I think that, I don't know how often that works, but it's something that I would definitely try if I were a junior designer now. I would just offer to like shadow a senior designer in one of his projects and just be there like a sidekick and witness his process, his the way of thinking, uh, everything that happens and then just help where I'm able to help. And then, yeah, I think that it's fine if you, you communicate that in your portfolio that this was a project that I did in collaboration with a senior designer and this is how I participated and the parts that I was uh, the owner of if you want and so this this could be something really nice because you also get yeah that uh, apprenticeship uh, feeling when you're when you're working side to side with somebody that's senior I'm not sure how many senior designers would be open but if you look at freelancers maybe since they are let's say owners of their own projects then maybe they could consider doing doing this really nice thing for the design community and helping junior designers get their first project. I'm really curious to hear your take on it. Oh yeah, Th those were a great point. A couple of things that I thought about was to, um, and actually this is relevant to you because your story is kind of very similar to this. Um, one is potentially thinking about the internal transition. Many designers start from other works, like for, right from from let's say the support team or from let's say IT de development, whatever, whatnot. But then, if they develop this interest for the design process to actually help users, advocate for the users, if they feel like this need to actually do more action and help users to achieve their goals, I've heard a lot of stories, including your Joanna, <laughs> where it 
was possible to do the internal transition. Uh, yes, it's challenging. You have to constantly voice your intention. You always have to express your interest. Switching roles is not as easy. Not always there is there is role, so you'd have to stick around until this role actually appears, and then make a case for doing this and prove that you might be the right person to take this new role. But if you think about it, it's also a great way to do this because you're taking away this one of the key risks. People already trust you. They already know who you are, what you're worth, what's communication like with you. And if they like working with you, they will be prompt to actually uh, enable your journey and enable this internal transition. So that's maybe one of the ways <clears throat> to go about it. Another one, not very popular, is called rotational programs. I've heard about it in a couple of big companies, so I know it's not a very famous format, especially not in um, Eastern world, uh, but I think that it's famous, kind of famous in US or maybe in some European countries, like in Czech Republic, there are comp companies who are using um, the rotational program. Those are the programs when you as the junior or a very young fresh designer or very young professional with some skills, with, with maybe even education and some uh, related industries would um, sort of join the company with an intention to rotate between different programs. So then every half a year, you will be switching programs uh, from, let's say, IT to design to then marketing to whatnot. I don't know. It depends on the program, of course. But I know that some people would like join those programs and figure out their strong sides and their key interests. And then the good thing about those rotational programs is that you would also um, for sure secure your spot there. So like for a year or maybe even two years, you will be paid for trying different things. But also after, after, you know, after the end of this rotation program, people will know you, you will already know a context and working in this company. And also, um, you know, people will trust you. As I said, it's one of the key risks. So people would more willing to hire you rather than the person from, from the outside, which they don't know yet. Um, another, another kind of point or idea here would be to join startups and it's kind of similar to the hackathon point, right? You can go into the hackathon and find a team and start working, uh, with this team on the side project, on your pet project, um, build your startup project. But, you know, in the hackathons, there are a lot of startup people and you might actually build your first freelancing or startup network. I actually got the first clients literally uh, right after the first hackathon. So you can, if you network enough uh, on those hackathons, you might meet interesting people. And especially if you're being proactive and present your ideas and I don't know, pitch the project progress, people will notice you, remember you, remember that you are a designer, proactive designer, if people like your energy, they will have your top mind next time they need a designer and they will be likely reaching you out to consider, okay, maybe your project didn't work out after the hackathon. That always happens. That's all right. But, you know, there is this great project uh, that somebody else is working on. They will refer you there and suggest whatever else. And then you might actually find a great startup to work with. Not always startups, <laughs> I would say, a great place to start from because it's always hectic and not always well paid, if paid at all. But it's still uh, a very popular place. And the entry curve to find the first job as a startup is really low. So a lot of designers start from startups. That's what I know. Um, and like you said, like building just a strong IT network, not being afraid to join the meetings, even if right now everything is 
online we know it's not the same format uh but yeah it's like it's still like you're building the network you're building the trust you're you're reducing the risks and people start knowing you and vibing with you and remembering you. And so most likely someone will recommend you at some point. So you're being proactive. And so you're building your name about it. And I know a lot of designers who don't have experience, but they're so proactive. They always try to meet new people. And it's amazing how successful they are at finding their first gigs. Please don't be afraid to do that. Let me see if there's anything else I would potentially think of. Um, here well internship is another way right to start which is also challenging and especially in the last couple of years i know that internship is becoming like this next thing that everybody's doing so the competition is rising and then even to entry curve to get the intern role sometimes is high for example when i was my first internship i spent like three or four interviews to get in and that was not a paid gig. So right now for me, it's like crazy. I don't think it's fair. I don't think that designers have to go through four or five rounds of interviews to get to the intern role, which is unpaid. And it's going to be a lot of work anyways. But it's still a great way for some designers to start because you will start right from the good company. There is a chance that after this internship, you'll get hired because people will trust you already and know how it feels to work with you. And so it's also another way to maybe start. So I think we have wasted so many <laughs> ideas how to transition to, to the design, how to build the real projects, not just you know generate projects from some online generator with like random challenge that is not real and tackling a real problem. We don't recommend this with Ivana. Uh, but yeah, maybe if you need just something for tomorrow, you can use it as an exercise, but please try to not invest full time in some random problem that is not even a problem. So how about we move on to our traditional section, our three top takeaways from today's conversation. And before we do that, I actually want to say that I want to then uh, amend something that I said. Yes. Um, I just want to make sure that I get the point across that I'm. I when I earlier I was saying that unpaid work is okay in the beginning. I'm not referring to internships. So internships should definitely be paid. So an internship is basically a job that you get in a company, and it should be paid. It's not something that you they they benefit from the work you'll be doing as an intern. So definitely you need to get paid. Sometimes unpaid work is okay when it's like something that you're like you're doing, you're volunteering with friends, family, someone in our network, something that's not like uh, hired for. <laughs> but once you're hired and you go through a hiring process, then you, you need to be paid. That's clear. And to my top three findings, uh, insights, ideas for today, I think that I would start by saying uh, that we need to be also understanding of companies. I love the point that you made uh, when we started this conversation. Definitely companies probably, they're just like people and they make like uh, mistakes and, and they did probably lack understanding. And so we also need to stop blaming in the companies for not hiring junior designers and maybe try to reach out to them and tell them, this is how I can help you as a junior designer. This is what I can do for you. This is what I, I'm pretty confident that I'm able to pull off. Uh, this is what I can't do for you and so on. So clearly communicate a value proposition to them because it's, it's really possible that they just sometimes have no idea what they're doing in the design world, especially if they don't have a, a design organization or a design body that can um, serve to the maturity of, of that, the understanding of that space. 
Another thing that I want to say is that I would uh, definitely recommend every ju the junior out there, every designer out there uh, to work on real problems. It's something that I keep saying. I just want to name it as one of my top three insights because I think it's very important. So work on real problems. I think that this is the, the, the way in which you will expose yourself to the world out there. You need to find people to interview real people, go out and, and I don't know, just bootstrap finding people, go on groups that are in the problem space you're trying to solve and so on. So real projects are um, better for your experience, first of all, but for your portfolio as well, secondly. So uh, a portfolio that's built on actual uh, work, that's not necessarily something like a prompt in a school or something you worked in a team with people uh, on a school project, then it's, it's something that's tangible. It shows the effort you've been doing, which is real. And the last thing that I want to say is that um, to find a job and to actually make it with this uh, very difficult task, you have to be very strategic and intentional about it. So don't just blindly apply to every UX gig that you see on LinkedIn. Definitely, you'll need to be doing some applying work. So you'll need to apply it. I'm not saying just don't apply and wait for it to happen. You have to put in the effort. You have to apply to jobs, but don't just do it blindly. And like with every opportunity that you see, just click easy apply and hope that somebody will call you because it may happen if you're a senior designer. And as we were saying, senior designers are kind of privileged in the sense that they, they're chased after. So they sometimes don't even have to put in the effort of finding a new job. While as a junior designer, if you're applying to a junior job, then probably 2,000 other people did that, hit the easy apply button. So it's really hard to stand out. Try to not rely only on applying like on LinkedIn or on other platforms, but uh, work more on the relationships behind. So reach out to the people who are hiring, try to look them up, try to understand what's going on in that company, how you could be valuable to them, what from your passion or your background could be translated, transferable to that particular experience, and try to have a personalized story and be very intentional and uh, basically design your work application. So this is what I had to say. I'm really excited to hear your top three ideas. Yeah, this is these are great points. I, I loved every each of them. Um, so let me think what else is left to pick up from. <laughs> um, I think one thing I'd just like to rephrase or um, again, circle back to it is to uh, when you're applying and you're preparing and you're building your portfolio, think like you want to said, like think about it strategically, not just around applying process and like selecting the companies you want to work with, but also just keeping in mind that your goal is to reduce the risks by addressing them in your portfolio and your interview. So in portfolio, you address the thinking part of it, right? The, the, the critical thinking part that you know the process, you know something, right? You're, you're kind of building the hard skill uh, case for yourself, whereas the interview is the place for you to build this confidence, uh, show that you're motivated, you're interested, you're a person, and how to actually you have to give the preview on how it will look like or feel like to work with you. So you have to do this good impression and really show uh, that you're motivated. The second point would be to acknowledge your transferable skills, to be confident in um, who you are, what you have to bring on the table, because a lot of designers underestimate themselves in the beginning. It's very easy to fall into this trap and thinking that everybody is so confident and smart around you, and you're just the only one who is like not having an experience, not even sure why they are talking to you and all of that. Like, 
I've been there so many times. I've been underestimating myself. I'm still underestimating myself a lot of times. So I guess being prepared and maybe writing down what are your strong sides as well as still being, um, you know, aware and acknowledge the fact that there's a lot for you to learn and know exactly what you want to learn it will show or prove that you're a reflexive person and people like to work with a reflexive person because those people uh, always prove that they grow and and improve themselves so it's, it's nice to work with those people and then i guess the last point again targeting very much junior designers in the beginning of their career is to be and not be afraid to be proactive with your network not be afraid to join meetings online or offline going to conferences going to hackathons meeting designers online with the instagram network or online like in general just different networks like slack channels and etc make your voice or name heard and known so next time somebody looks for junior designers they would remember you um, it helped me a lot to build network it helped me a lot to make friends with designers or not just designers but also with this like it community in general and since i've been proactive in social media people would remember me and reach me out if they needed a designer i cannot emphasize more of the need of Uh, building your name, not necessarily in a social media space, but in general, in the network space, in whatever format. Yeah, I think that was my third point. (laughs) So I guess that is it from my side. And if there is nothing else that we want to talk about, we can actually wrap up for today. So I hope this episode was helpful and productive. I would encourage everybody to write us a review on any podcast platform of your choice. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple podcast. There's I think at least seven platforms where we are in. So please, we would encourage you to leave us a review. This will help us and motivate us to keep it up. And if there are any other topics or problems that you're experiencing, be it a junior role or be in a middle career role, please reach us out. We are always open and interested to hear your stories and also take them for a discussion. So next time we can make this this conversation more tackled for you and, and helpful for you, I hope. All right, that is it for today. Thank you so much for joining. Hope it was helpful and we will see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.